Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. Now, Rob Carney of Rugby fame has uh, a new book out, No Hiding. He's on the line this morning to chat to us. How are you, Rob? Very well, thanks, Joe. How are you? Good. I was looking at uh, the many honours you've won in your career and thinking that you're part of a, a generation of players, obviously for Leinster in your case, for Ireland, um, Munster players as well, who've probably been more successful in terms of medals than any generation that came before you. Yeah, I, I, well, I suppose I think the, the lucky thing for me was that I came in and started up my career uh, right in the middle of a golden generation back then in 2009. And uh, we had a little bit of a lull for a few years in between that. And then I just managed to get another golden generation, so to speak, towards the end of my career. So I think my timing was very lucky throughout my 15-year uh, career. And in terms of that golden generation, you know, was it about the quality of players? Was it also about the structure? Was it the professionalism that had come into the game and was being built on up to that period in, in the, well, 2009 onwards? I mean, for Munster a bit earlier than that, obviously. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think in 2009, it was it was definitely the, the quality of, of players. And in particular, you know, when I think back to that Grand Slam in 2009, you look at... O'Gara, O'Connell, O'Driscoll, they were three superb rugby players who sort of dragged the rest of us along with them. Uh, in combined, you, you had a really good team around them, but you know, when when things started to get very serious in, in that Grand Slam game, they were the three guys who really stepped up and, and sort of pulled the rest of us along. Now, you know full well that the first part I went to in the book was the, the famous um, meeting in Enfield uh, where you made your speech um, uh, which, as you say, wasn't the Gettysburg Address, but was <laughs> as short as I think is the way you described it. Uh, exactly. Where, where you, you you talked about Munster and wondered about. Well, you explain to me what did you actually say? Because there's been so much said about it since. Yeah, there's been a lot said, and, and it's rare that you actually that, that I've seen a uh, very accurate account of the down through the years. I suppose in in. To, to sum it up, you know, as, as quickly and concisely as I can, I, I was, you know, 18, 19 years of age watching Munster go through their peak and they were winning European Cup trophies. And, and Tolman Park was just the most incredible place in the world to to play rugby in. It was to, to watch on. Even as a Leinster man, I was just in awe at, at what has been achieved down there and the connection between the fans and the players. And I just really thought that the Irish team lacked that. And I thought... You know, basically what I said is if this Ireland team wants to, you know, go on and be really successful and win Grand Slams, then we have to emulate what Munster have in Thoman Park. But your worry was how it was going to be interpreted. Isn't that the case by Munster players in the Ireland squad? I mean, you obviously weren't thinking about anything beyond that in terms of how it might reflect in the media. No, like I think that the important thing to say at the time was there was a huge amount of narrative within Ireland as to why the Irish team couldn't do what Munster was doing because there were so many Munster players in the Irish team at the time. And, you know, so I suppose it was, my worry was that what I was saying was going to be perceived as the Munster lads aren't doing the same for Ireland as they are for, for Munster. Um, you know, and, and, and there was an element of that too, but I suppose the onus was more on the whole group 
uh, and to try and build a connection between the provinces because there was there was still a significant amount of se segregation at the time. Um, you know, the, the the provincial rivalry between Leinster and Munster was so strong that when we came into camp, you know, there was no friendships there. And I'm a big believer that, you know, teams and, and winning cultures are, are built on, on a strong foundation of friendship and trust. And we're talking to Rob Carney about his book, No Hiding. Um, and now when people look back at that time and, you know, they ascribe a lot of importance to what you said and the reaction to it. Do you see it that way? Listen, it, it did have an impact. Um, and, and certainly the, the team grew a lot closer uh, after that event. Uh, you know, it broke down a little bit of barriers between the whole squad. But, you know, I, I, I do mention this in the book. I'd love to, to have known that if we didn't go on to win the Grand Slam, say we picked up the wooden spoon, would I almost have be, become the villain of Irish rugby for stirring this up and, and creating this huge, uh, I suppose, negative atmosphere within a team environment? Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that is fascinating because, of course, the coach at the time was Declan Kidney of Ireland, who obviously had been a very successful coach of Munster. But a, a, a couple of the, the lads reacted within a couple of hours and Donegal Callan said something to you and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I, when, when I initially... Uh, you know, Ronan O'Gara brought the findings back from our little mini groups. I think there was six or seven of us in that mini group, and and he presented the findings to the whole group. And he didn't say exactly who said it. And Marcus Horan stood up and he said, "Listen, we can't, we can't just gloss over this. There's an elephant in the room. Um, you know, someone is effectively calling out the monster players." So, you know, I, I had to stand up and and back up what I said. And you know, I think ultimately the the monster lads, in particular were I feel appreciative of the honesty. Um and, you know, like I said, the, the the narrative was out there in the public, but we'd never spoken about it as a group ourselves. So, you know, it it, it needed to be addressed in some shape or form. Do you think you would have done what you did at eighteen or nineteen at twenty eight or twenty nine? Was was youth a factor? I think youth was a little bit of a factor. Um you know, you, you sometimes when you're younger, you don't always appreciate the consequences of some of your actions, and and certainly that was that was the case at that time. But you know, I'd, I'd like to think even at, at 28, 29, if I felt strongly about something, um, you have to come out and say it, particularly in, in a in a high performance team environment where you know honesty is paramount, and you have to you have to always say what's on your mind. Yeah, I, I mean, I know, Rob, obviously you're very well known from rugby. Your brother Dave Carney is um, as well. But I, I wasn't aware until I read the book that you had tragedy in the family when you were quite young. Yeah, so I was uh, two and a half years of age. Uh, I had an older brother, Ross, who was six at the time, and, and he was killed in a road traffic accident. Uh, I don't have a huge amount of recollection of it, uh, but the, the scars are still there for the family. and. You know, I think when you're doing a book, you want to you want to honour the people who have been really important to your life and, and sort of honour the driving forces behind maybe a little bit of my success down through the years and, and also to recognise my parents, how you know amazing they were to be able to keep the show on the road and, and sort of raise me in an environment that I felt was, was very normal. Unfortunately, we know from this show, from talking to parents uh, who've lost children in tragic circumstances, that you know it, it's it's so hard to bear and so hard to go on. 
Yeah, it is really hard to go on. And, and, uh, and listen, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, my parents are amazing. They kept, they stayed together. They kept the show on the road. You know, that is not the case for, for a lot of families. And sometimes these these big tragic events can, can have very long-term lasting effects. Uh, I suppose the the only thing that, that I can say was, was fantastic for our family that, you know, Ross was always spoken about. Um, you know, it was never taboo to mention the, the event or his death. And, you know, even though he, he hasn't been with us for so long, he's, he's still very much a part of the family. And in some respects, I always think he's, he's a little bit of the glue that has kept us together and so tight. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. We're talking to Rob Carney about his book, No Hiding. Um, so this week for the Ireland team, um, having beaten Italy at the weekend in the very unusual circumstances, I mean, when you up to very recently were playing for Ireland, were these the weeks that you relished the, the run up to a game where you have a chance of winning the championship or the Grand Slam? Yeah, of course. Listen, you train so hard during the year. You do your your eight weeks of preseason to get you physically prepared and then you go into matches, you know, and, and a lot of time it takes, you know, you're playing for the international players might be playing for three trophies in a year. And, you know, to to be in a stage of the last week where you're in the hunt for that trophy, you know, these are exactly the weeks that you want to be involved in. One of the things that always fascinated me about you because you had such a long and successful uh, career that, I mean, obviously in that context, sometimes you're in favour, sometimes you're out of favour, sometimes you're getting battered uh, by the media and the pundits. That's just the way of it. But you you had an extraordinary ability to bounce back from that. You know, if you got picked again to take your chance. What was that? I mean, is that largely a mental thing or is it about blocking out the criticism? Yeah, you know, I'm not entirely sure. And I've thought about this so many times down through the years and, and I've never been able to put my finger on it. Uh, I think ultimately it comes down to mental resilience. Um, you know, some of that resilience you're born with, some of that resilience you can you can train and, and prepare yourself to get better over time. Uh, you know, I was certainly someone who, who enjoyed when my back was against the wall and, and people were questioning me. And I think if, if you've got a deep-rooted self-belief that you'll come out the other end, um, you know, generally things will work in your favour. Mm. So you have an Australian adventure next on the agenda, Rob? Yes, yeah, so heading to Australia, I think after Christmas, uh, going to Perth to have signed a short-term contract with the Western Force over there. So, you know, the, the last year has been a little bit unfulfilling for me in terms of I haven't played a huge amount of games uh, you know, there's been no no supporters in the stadium. It's not really how I, I pictured finishing up. You know, the body still feels good. My mind still feels good. So, you know, I thought, why why not give it another crack? And did you um, agree that before COVID came along or after? No, it was after. It was very late in the day. It was really only September time. And I, I, I guess I'd resigned to the fact that you know, there's a good, strong possibility that I'd be finishing up in October. Um, but like I say, the opportunity came very late in the day and it was almost too good to, to turn down. So who was the best player you ever played with or against? And secondly, who was the best monster player that you ever played with for Ireland or the Lions or whatever or against? Oh, geez, they're tough ones. Uh, you know, I, I think Playing against the New Zealand players are, you know, the all some of those all black players are just on a different level. Uh, you know, I played three tests against 
Slovenia uh, Sivivatu, who's a winger, I think, back uh, the test games were in 2007 and 2008. And, you know, it was, it was just like I was a boy playing against a superhuman athlete. Uh, in terms of Munster, you know, they've had so many incredible players down through the years. And, and certainly for, for that Irish team in 2009, they were the they were the backbone of the team, um, you know. But it's it's very hard to look past O'Connell and O'Gara in terms of the, the the impact they could have on a big game. They were big game players, and and when they were on form, they, you know, they were just playing at a different level to anyone else. And, and do you consider Brian O'Driscoll to be the best Irish player of all time? Uh, I think probably he has to be. I think so. Okay, well, um, I know from my own personal experience, we've, we've mixed marriage. My wife's a Leinster fan, living in Limerick, and um, oh, okay. I, I'm a Munster fan. So uh, always a fair bit of tension around the Munster-Leinster matches, but enjoyable at the same time. And uh, it was always great to watch you playing uh, for Ireland anyway. <laughs> I can't automatically say for Leinster now, Rob, I've got to be honest. Oh, come on now, you have a green shirt on you as well. <laughs> the green shirt, yes. I've never never had any difficulty in an Ireland context. And listen, we wish you well in the next chapter in Australia. In unusual times, but I hope you have a great experience down there and a very interesting book as well written uh, with uh, David Walsh uh, Rob Carney No Hiding uh, thanks Rob great to chat to you Joe thanks for having me on the take show take care Cheers. take care bye bye call Limerick today now on 461995